1: Hello and welcome back to The Bunker. I'm your host, Andrew Harrison, and I went to a comprehensive school. It was a very good one, the envy of the area, and the headmaster ran it as if it was a grammar school. He even wore a gown. Kids from lots of backgrounds, got a great education, well, I say lots of backgrounds, pretty much everybody was whites and C of E. But there was a nice mix of working class kids to the lower middle classes, and our school got plenty of us into university back when that wasn't necessarily a given. What it didn't do, what it couldn't do, was educate us proles in the Byzantine incomprehensible world of private education, of the elite public schools whose supposed training for leadership, inculcation of entitlement, and simple provision of connections are the grease on the wheels of Britain's establishment. The assumption that all of us know how the public schools work is woven into our culture. Broadsheets will talk about which politician went to St Paul's and who went to Westminster as if these are determining characteristics, and maybe they are. They'll run special guides on the best independent schools as if this is a pressing matter for the entire population and not just the 7% of families who do send their kids there. And when talking about Theresa May's government in The Telegraph in 2018, Charles Moore can ask, in all seriousness, With Etonians shunned in the modern cabinet, where will the new talent come from? Nobody ever bothers to explain this world and its codes to the 93% of us who were not privately educated. So to help me with this is somebody who does know. Robert Vickake, author of Posh Boys, How English Public Schools Ruin Britain, amongst many other excellent books. Hello, Robert. Thank you for joining me.
0: Hi, Andrew. How are you doing?
1: Not bad, not bad. So the world of the top private school is a mystery to those of us who went to Scumbag College, as they described it in The Young Ones. Um, mm. Can mm. you give me a quick kind of prole's guide to the top schools and their characters? Eton, we roughly know, but, you know, what are the USPs, say, of Westminster or St. Paul's or Harrow? This is a, a strange universe to the likes of me.
0: I think I'll begin by saying that there's a whole range of, of private education out there there's the small local family run private school in the country perhaps in, in the regions where fees are reasonably low through to sort of middling private schools with you know hundreds of of pupils a few hundred pupils yeah right up to the elite private schools these are sometimes referred to as the Clarendon schools because they kind of were born out of a um, a sort of 19th century reform, which basically installed them as our most um, prestigious, expensive, and influential public schools. They would be Eton, um, Harrow, Westminster, St. Paul's, Winchester, the very first public school founded in 1382. Over the years, they've evolved into having their own special... Characters, I guess. So Eton is, you know, only top of the list because it's so influential and so effective at um, promoting your child's chances of advancing in life. And Harrow, you know, it was Eton and Harrow used to be, you know, vying for top spot a few hundred, uh, about a hundred years ago, maybe even fifty years ago. But Harrow is now considered the sort of public school for rich is because they don't have the same kind of entrance exam, or I mean, they even have Eton has a very sort of sophisticated um, um, psychoanalysis almost of, of each pupil. There's a, there's, a, there's a psychometric test that they have to um, pass before they get into Eton's. So, but but ultimately, you know, they're, they're both the schools require an awful lot of money to attend them.
1: Do these schools specialise in particular ways of thinking? Is there a St. Paul's mind? Is there a Winchester mind? Or is it just a hierarchy of snobbery, as it were?
0: I think it, it's it's more snobbery, probably. <laughs> um, it's a history, each school has its own history, and then each school has its own sort of list of alumni who will you know, be impressive on paper and will, will carry the school's reputation. Um, but I mean, some schools will e- excel in sports. Some will excel in horse riding, rowing, arts, music. I mean, they will, they will have their sort of specialist area of, of excellence.
1: I, mean, I saw that when Rishi Sunak became Prime Minister, there was a kerfuffle in certain sorts of papers that he was a Wiccanist, And I had to Google this because I didn't know yeah. what it meant. It uh, meant he went to Winchester. I thought it was something to do with the Wicker Man. Commentators treated it as if he'd gone to some kind of wild free school, uh, you know, where the teachers smoke in lessons and the kids drink, uh, drink wine. What is the big deal with Winchester? Is it so odd, so strange?
0: Well, Winchester's interesting because it was the first. It was founded in 1382 by a medieval... A philanthropist called uh, William Wickham, hence hence Wickhamists. In those days, William Wickham's dream was to create a school in the community which purely educated the needy and poor. So there were the, the school was for seventy. The, the words were indigent and poor pupils. That's how it began, and it had a sort of direct route to to Oxbridge, and it was very successful at. Taking children from relatively poor families to the highest office of, of the land—you know, they, they, these were these were these were medieval social mobility engines, which really made a difference. And so the same was true of the other public schools that followed them: so Eton, Harrow, Innocent St. Paul's, Westminster. So these are the the ancient public schools. They all did the same thing. They were all there to um, advance the life chances of poor children children who were we would miss out because education was a very um, special and and restricted blessing in those days and these schools were brilliant at doing that until of course they became too successful and and attracted the attentions of the aristocrats the nobles the lords you know the beneficiaries of the industrial revolution these people wanted the schools these schools to do the same for their own children so they sort of They got rid of the trustees. They rewrote the statutes so that instead of these schools being set up as charities to educate children from poor families, these schools became places that would advance the interests of the very privileged members of our society, and and that is their character today. And and Winchester was the very first of them, and you know many, you know William Wickham will probably be. turning in his grave, knowing that Rishi Sunak, Prime Minister of of this country, decided to donate £100,000 to the school, rather than, you know, whatever whatever might be his local comprehensive, or whatever the community school is related to him, because that was the point, it's supposed to be a community school, and and it certainly isn't that anymore.
1: That's really interesting. I think you describe it in the book as the attendance and nurseries of aristocracy. What you've described there makes me think that reforming the public school sector or even ending uh, independent schooling could quite easily be presented as returning it to its original early purpose, not some kind of radical modern class war move, but actually back to basics.
0: Absolutely. That's the moral case for for doing it. Obviously, there's a legal obstacle there. Um, It may you know, it may not be possible to, to do that. But there's certainly a very strong moral argument for returning them to their original purpose. But, I mean, there's a you know, if you were going to make the, the legal case, you might also say that these schools with their, you know, we're talking about perhaps billions of pounds worth of, of bursaries and endowments, which were established, as I say, in, in medieval times and then were added to Over the years, these were endowments for the community, for the benefit of the community, which have been misappropriated by the aristocracy, as I say, the the landowning elites, the beneficiaries of the Industrial Revolution and, and so forth. And these, you know, this huge wealth, I mean, Eton is probably worth a billion pounds in terms of its assets and endowments today, but these were originally, it was originally set up as a school to benefit the community and the very disadvantaged members of that community. So if you were going to advance a legal case, I think you might say there's a uh, a legal right to reclaim the huge assets that were once part of the state and bring them back into the fold.
1: Let's talk some more about Eton. Uh, Since the war, we've had five Etonian prime ministers out of 14, as compared to uh, seven prime ministers who went to state school. One of the latter was Liz Truss, I don't know if she counts. Um, (laughs) how How is Eton's lock on power distorting our politics, do you think? Because the idea that one school could be producing, you know,
0: a third of our prime ministers seems bizarre. It is bizarre. I think it's bizarre when you think one school can be as influential. I don't know about you, but my—I didn't. No one from my school has ever been prime minister. I don't think anyone from my school went to um, Oxford or Cambridge. You know, we're talking about a very narrow substrata of society. So, if if government is dominated by a certain type of person who's be, been educated in a certain type of way. Surely, we're just going to get one type of government. We're going to get harmed by a sort of groupthink, which isn't going to address all our problems and isn't going to perhaps cope best with the challenges that a government will face. And, you know, we are denying by concentrating the leadership of this country from a pool of a particular kind of, of people, from a particular kind of family, educated in a particular kind of way. We're only going to deny other opportunities for millions of other people.
1: Yeah, well, judging from the prime ministers and the senior conservatives we've seen over the past couple of decades, Eton seems to produce careless men who are primarily interested in what other Etonians think. Johnson's callousness, Cameron's kind of ability to just waltz away from a massive wreck he's made in the country, sort of whistling, and then waltz back (laughs) in saying he was bored. You know what are parents who put down their forty two and a half thousand pounds a year for Eaton? What are they? Are they buying more than just a passport to the elite? Are they buying a state of mind?
0: First of all, I think first and foremost they're buying a place at an elite table. They're giving their children, and you know, by dint of their own children, they're giving their own family a, a leg up in life. You know, it's a calling card. You're you're buying yourself into a network. You're mixing with families that you will will help advance your own. Families, businesses, and children's career prospects. So that's the. I think that's that's the first thing. And ultimately, you might end up with your son becoming prime minister or a very successful Oscar-winning actor. I mean, we're talking about the very highest echelons of society, and you, you and you can win the very the biggest prizes if you go to Eton. So. It's a big prize, it's a lot of money, but I'm not sure that everyone gets a very good deal because you hear about Johnson, Cameron, but you don't hear about children whose lives have been crushed by not reaching those heights, where they feel forever guilty that their parents have spent nearly half a million pounds maybe on them, on their education, and they haven't delivered, They and they simply can't deliver, or perhaps don't want to live, want to express themselves in, in different ways. I know there are lots of private school, public school support groups out there for damaged adults who now are able to sort of link their psychological problems to their elite education. So, you know, I don't think, think parents are perhaps aware of the dangers. You know, the, the, the prizes are, are, are huge, but the... Um, the harm and damage caused by these schools is, is something that you need to um, take into account. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best—it's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line—it's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible because we're already doing it, all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder.
1: Most of us get our ideas about private school and private education uh, through fiction be it through the Molesworth book set at St. Custard's or, you know, Billy Bond say goodbye, Mr. Chips. St. Cakes in Private Eye, the parody of the school <laughs> yeah. that the people who write Private Eye went to. Even Hogwarts yeah. in, in Harry Potter, you know. Do you think the private schools perhaps protect themselves by presenting themselves as part of the fabric of the English comedy? You know, take us away and it just won't be the same. Have they <laughs> comedy washed themselves?
0: Private schools are an, an integral part of our culture and our history now, aren't they, really? so much of our sort of leading authors, playwrights, politicians, sports people have been to them um, and so much has been written about them, whether it's just humorous and maybe that's, you know, they they like to think it's it's very funny to be sent away to boarding school and not not have any um, contact with your mother and father for most of the year. Maybe they think that's That's a funny and um, stiff upper lip building, character building experience. I was
1: surprised as a kid, because I loved the
0: Molesworth books.
1: You know, St. Custard's, Grimes, the horrible master Grimes, lots of canes, boys smoking cigs, all this kind of stuff. I I was surprised how familiar it was to me, even though my school was nothing like that. Nobody in my family had ever been to a school like that. You know, we, we didn't wear little caps. And yet I felt like it had seeped into me through everything I'd seen in in pop culture. So this stuff is both, a, you know, you kind of know it through caricature and you know it through comedy. But when you encounter, you know, when I've encountered people firsthand from that world, it it seems more alien than Molesworth himself, you know, stranger than Molesworth.
0: The reason I think you're familiar with it is because the public school is so dominant in British culture that... Schools have, all, have tried to ape them. You know, there's a sort of as a standard of education or a type of education, which state schools tried to aspart I mean, particularly the grammar schools. You know, the post-war grammar school was desperate to be a sort of state version of the private of the private school, of the top public school, and it aped all the, all the ritual, all the custom, all the ludicrousness of the of the private schools. Um, so I think that's partly why we find it so familiar
1: yeah i certainly my headmaster was a he was a gowns guy um, you know head boys and sports day and all that kind of thing i'm very aware that we've been talking mostly about boys where is the Eaton for girls i mean I, I kind of nosed around to try and see the top public schools for girls that produce people in power and it seems to be a lot thinner on the ground
0: yeah i did i you know this is a, a troubling question and it came up last week when i was debating at durham and a student in the audience said we've talked talked a lot about public schools and the problem of private education but do you think this is just a it's a boy's problem isn't it really it's not a girl's problem i don't think that girls are immune from privilege you know, there are there are top girls schools perhaps not as ancient and not with the same tradition but there are a number of girls schools which do the same thing as as the, the boys private schools do and there are a number of top boys Boarding schools, which have six forms, which are introduced girls to them now. So they you know, schools like Marlborough, um, uh, Charterhouse, they both have girls in their six forms now. So they're, they're basically doing the same thing, but I mean, it's the nature of gender politics, isn't it? They're not men have all the the, the top jobs, and they've been to all the top schools.
1: Labour has just dropped its plans to strip. Britain's two and a half thousand private schools of their charitable status. It says it's gonna remove tax breaks instead. Keir Starmer told Nick Robinson, I'm very comfortable with private schools, but I want our state schools to be just as good. Is Labour gonna be missing out on the best opportunity it will ever have to kind of to kind of break this production line of 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 elitism and kind of undeserved connection?
0: Well, okay, so it's not they're not going for charitable status, but they're they're gonna they're gonna take away the one thing that charitable status gives private schools, and that's massive tax exemption. So they're they're still focused on the abolition of the tax exemption that means most to to private schools, and that's VAT paid on school fees. So at the moment, if you pay for an elite service like private education, you don't have to pay VAT like you do for every other service in this country. So Labour will will do that. They will make schools impose VAT on school fees, which means about about £1.5 billion worth of, of taxes that will be imposed on the schools. And, uh, and I suppose, ultimately, the families going there because they'll ratchet up the school fees, which are, you know, they, they've exploded in recent years. So, I mean, the, the average school fee for uh, a day school at a private school is now fifteen thousand pounds a year and um, boarding is double that i mean you really have to earn an awful lot of money you know if you're sending two kids to uh a private school day school that's you know that's 50 52 grand maybe you know how much do you have to earn you're gonna have to earn more than a hundred thousand pounds a year and even then you're going to find it very tight to afford that so labor of are focusing on the one thing that I think will really hit the schools, and that is you know, they're going to have to either suck up the VAT and keep the fees down, and find cuts elsewhere. They might have to sort of rent out their Olympic-sized swimming pools, or riding stables, or rowing lakes to you know, local schools. And maybe that's a maybe that's a good thing. But they're obviously they're obviously kicking up, and I think crying wolf over how this will affect them. They're saying you know thousands of children are going to miss out on education at a private school and that's a terrible thing. But there's been enough study on the subject to show that it's it's gonna be a de minimis impact, probably twenty thousand at very most children may switch from the the private to the state sector. And you know, maybe that's not a bad thing.
1: What would you like to see happen to the independent sector? Um, you know, it's one of those strange things where the minute you raise any objection to it or think it needs looking at it, it's immediately denounced as class war in the mail, class war in the, in the Telegraph. But so just trying to take a sober view of it, how do you think we should be approaching
0: private schools? I think I agree. It's, it's a toxic um, sort of uh, issue at the moment. I mean, I, I don't come at it from a political point of view at all. I mean, I just come at it from a... You know, what sort of society do you want to to live in? Well, I mean the most important thing about society is is how we treat our children, our most the most valuable element of any society. And when you think that children in this country, you know there's there's I don't know, six million children in this country who um, are brought up in relative poverty and will never ever know there are charities like Eton, Winchester westminster you know saint paul's whose sole purpose is to advance the life chances of already very privileged children they will, will go to their graves probably never ever knowing that and i think that that's extraordinarily unfair because i think for a society you want your children to at least have the same chances as everybody else but when, when you realize that you know, if you get them to the starting line, and obviously, you know, life isn't fair; it's never going to be fair. But at least get them to the starting line, where they have a, you know, a chance to to, sh- to show their talents, to um, express their potential. Let let's at least do that. And I don't think you can do that when you know that if your your wealthy neighbour can afford to, they can push their kid in the front of the queue for you know, some very top and lucrative jobs and that seems like uh, a corrosion of uh, our democracy and I think ultimately it undermines our democracy because people start to think well hold on if I'm going to the local state school um, and I think I've got the same chances as everybody else and then you know I leave the state school and I find that in my life and in my career I'm bumping into people who parachuted into top jobs um, without any Obvious, visible signs of, of talent or or um, or training or um, or proper study, then you get to feel that the system isn't working for you and it's working for a, a narrow section of society. And that can't be good for democracy. And you know, perhaps people, will, you know, will start voting with their feet and and not voting.
1: I once found myself at a, a quite a fancy dinner for a. Uh... Shall we say, an institution of our, uh, of, of our country's fifth estate, and discovered that somebody who was sitting next to me had actually gone to my school. And I was amazed. And the, the people around us said, What are you two so surprised about? And I said, it Turns out we went to the same school. And they said, Well, we all went to the same school. What are you surprised about that for? And of course, the school they had gone to was slightly different to the comprehensive yeah. that I went to. Robert the Cake, thanks so much for joining me.
0: She's had a good to speak to you.
1: Listeners, if you want to know more, and you want to help out the podcast, you can buy Robert's book, Posh Boys, How English Public Schools Ruin Britain, through our brand new affiliate online bookshop. There's a link in the show notes by Robert's book or any of the others that we talk about on the podcast. And you'll be helping independent bookshops because they get a bite and the bunk will get a little portion too. It's going to help us with all those school fees that we've got to pay. And remember, we listened to what you said in the listener survey. We have been, perhaps, overwhelming you with too many editions of The Bunker in a week. So from this week, we're going over to five days a week, Monday to Friday, to give you time to catch up over the weekend. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition. Thanks for listening. Floriat bunkeritum.
0: The Bunker Daily was produced and presented by Podmasters group editor Andrew Harrison. The managing editor was Jacob Jarvis, and the producers were Eliza Davis Beard and me, Alex Reese. Our direction by James Parrott, music by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmasters production.